So I now have the privilege of turning into God's Word, turning in God's Word to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We're going to read this morning verse 23 of chapter 10 through the first verse of chapter 11. So we'll be considering again 1 Corinthians 10 verses 20, verse 23 through 11, 1. And this is God's holy word as he gave to the Apostle Paul to write to the church at Corinth. And so let's now attend with reverence to the reading of God's inerrant word. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. Let one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market, asking no questions for conscience' sake, for the earth is the Lord's in all its fullness. If any of those who do not believe in invites you to dinner and you desire to go, eat whatever is set before you, asking no question for for conscience' sake. But if anyone says to you this was offered to idols, do not eat it for the sake of the one who told you and for conscience' sake. For the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness. Conscience, I say, not your own, but that of the other. For why is my liberty judged by another man's conscience? But if I partake with thanks, why am I evil spoken of for the food over which I give thanks? Therefore, whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense, either to the Jew or to the Greeks, or to the church of God. Just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. Imitate me, just as I also imitate Christ. This ends the reading of God's holy word for us at this time. May he bless its reading and its exposition. So let's uh, come briefly before the Lord in prayer. Lord, we do pray indeed that you would bless not only the reading of your word, but its exposition and its hearing, that all of us may be hereby edified, that today we might learn all the more to do everything to the glory of our Savior God, as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in today's passage, the Apostle Paul comes to the conclusion of a matter Uh, of liberty of conscience, that matter that he took up in chapter 8. And along the way, he's diverted into some other topics, but this has been really the the underlying theme uh, since chapter 8. And in doing so, he returns to the question of eating meat. That's really where it came from, or what the first example was of this problem of Christian liberty of conscience, which we distinguish between the general principle of Christian liberty and liberty of conscience. but uh, So he returns to this question of eating meat from animals that had been sacrificed to idols. And you recall from our sermon in, in chapter 8, or sermons in chapter 8, that uh, Paul taught, on the one hand, an idol is nothing. 
But as we saw again last week, on the other hand, uh, demons bolster false religion. They might even impersonate the false gods of the nations, giving lying signs and wonders, so that people will worship them rather than the true God. So meat offered to an idol can have, on the one hand, no real spiritual effect on a Christian because the idol is really nothing. The Christian is free to eat such meat. However, a Gentile convert to the faith of Christ might want to avoid any association with his former paganism. And for the sake of not offending his conscience, his brother who is more confident in his freedom that he has in Christ should avoid eating such meat so as not to offend the brother who has the weaker conscience. Furthermore, Christians should most definitely steer clear, as we saw last week, of any participation in the worship of false gods. In fact, as we saw, we should flee from idolatry and have no fellowship with the table of demons while trying to partake of the table of Christ. So Paul's conclusion to this matter is to, uh, or to this issue really, is to give some guiding principles. The overarching principle is do all to the glory of God. Whether you eat or not, whether you drink or not, in anything, he says, do all to the glory of God. And in this passage, he teaches eight things that doing all to the glory of God entails. There are many more that we could find in the rest of Scripture, and we could spend weeks and weeks on that. But what we see here in this particular Scripture is, number one, doing what edifies the church is something we should do for the glory of God. If we're wanting to do all things for the glory of God, we should do what edifies the church. Also, we should seek the well-being of others. Third, we should exercise our liberty of conscience ordinarily. But, on the other hand, our fourth point will be we should avoid knowingly offending the conscience of other Christians. A fifth thing is that we should partake of the things that God provides with thanksgiving. That's one way that we do all things to the glory of God. Whatever we eat... Give thanks to God for what he's given us. Whatever we enjoy in this world, give thanks to God for what he has given us. Number six, we should avoid giving needless offense to others, whether they're unbelievers or believers. Seventh, we should seek the salvation of others. That's for the glory of God. And eighth, we should imitate the godly. So we'll see these points as we make our way through the passage here. So let's start with the guiding principle that Paul offers. Do all to the glory of God. That's found in verse 31. Notice that it begins with that word, therefore. So that indicates to us that this is really the conclusion of all the things that, that Paul has said. So here to conclude, because of all these other things that Paul has said here in this passage, do all to the glory of God. And so we'll start with it as our point here. Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Now, as I mentioned, obviously, there are hundreds of things that we could find in the Bible. Ways that the scriptures tell us we can glorify God. The biblical and reverent worship is at the top of that list throughout scripture. Offering our bodies as living sacrifices, as Paul says in Romans 12. Uh, forsaking sin. Obeying God's commandments. 
But for our purposes here, we see that Paul is concerned with how we exercise liberty of conscience and how we interact with others around us. And how do we do those things to the glory of God? So in connection with those things, the overarching principle of doing all to the glory of God entails eight particular things we find in this passage. Number one, it entails doing what edifies the church. Verse 23, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. On the one hand, all things are lawful for us because nothing will get the saved person unsaved. But Paul here, more particularly, is talking about things that we are free to do, things that God has not forbidden. And so in, in terms of liberty of conscience, we're free to do them. But not all of those things that we're free to do necessarily are good for us and other people around us. They're not necessarily the best. Let's put it that way. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. Remember what Paul has taught us before. We need to consider our brethren when we're exercising liberty of conscience. In our daily lives, we're each free to do something that God has not forbidden. But just because you're free to do something, as we saw before, does not always mean it's best or wisest to do that thing in a particular context. Paul said in chapter 6, verse 12, All things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. We can, in one sense, make a lawful thing unlawful by bringing ourselves under its power instead of under God. And he concluded chapter 8 with the statement, Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, food which is perfectly fine for me to eat, right? I will never again eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. It's perfectly fine to eat the meat that was sacrificed to idols on the one hand, under the right conditions anyway, as we'll see. But not if it makes my brother stumble. It's better that I avoid it, so not to make my brother stumble. Here in chapter 10, we see that Paul is concerned with what edifies, with what builds up. So when I'm choosing what I might do among the things that I'm free to do, I might think it would be wise for me to think, what will most edify God's people around me? What is it that builds me up after the image of Christ? What will build up my brothers and sisters after the image of Christ? What is therefore most helpful for building up the church? Paul's recently written of how much of his personal freedom and preferences he was willing in himself to surrender, to forego, in order to get the gospel to as many people as he possibly could get the gospel to. When choosing whether or not to do something you are free to do, think of what will most edify Christians around you. What will most edify yourself in terms of your Christian walk? What's going to help your brothers and sisters? What's going to help the church in general grow in Christ-likeness? So that's number one. Do what edifies. Number two, doing all to the glory of God entails seeking the well-being of others. Verse 24, let no one seek his own, 
I think I misread that when I was reading it earlier and realized it later. I can't go back now. But verse 24, let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. I think I skipped the no when I was reading it out loud. I thought, that sounds weird. Uh, but it's let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. So we should be seeking the well-being of others before our own well-being. Matthew Henry explains this really well. He says, he gives, he's talking about Paul, he says, he gives a caution against abusing our liberty in lawful things. That may be lawful, which is not expedient, which will not edify. A Christian must not barely consider what is lawful, but what is expedient. So in other words, he's saying, I shouldn't just think, what am I permitted to do, but what of the things I'm permitted to do would be the best for other Christians and myself in terms of becoming more like Christ. So, so what's most expedient for the use of edification? He says a private Christian should do so even in his private conduct. He must not be concerned, or rather he must be concerned, not to hurt his neighbor. Nay, he must be concerned to promote his welfare and must consider how to act so that he may help others and not hinder them in their holiness, comfort, or salvation. Those who allow themselves in everything not plainly sinful in itself will often run into what is evil by accident and do much mischief to others. Everything lawful in itself to be done is not therefore lawfully done. That's an interesting statement. Something can be perfectly lawful for me to do, but I may do it in a way that's not lawful. He says, circumstances may make that a sin which is itself none. These must be weighed. And the expediency of an action and its tendency to edification must be considered before it be done. Then he finishes this paragraph by saying, Note the welfare of others, as well as our own convenience, must be consulted in many things we do if we would do them well. So Paul teaches us here, seek the well-being of others. That's a way you can glorify God. Number three, doing all to the glory of God entails exercising liberty of conscience ordinarily. It glorifies God that I do the things which he has left me free to do, except when, as we'll see, it violates the conscience of another, if it damages the other, if it's not the most expedient thing. So with the precautions that we've seen in points 1 and 2 in mind, Paul tells us in verse 25 through 27 that when we don't know that something is going to damage someone else, it's going to tempt someone else to violate conscience or anything like that, it's going to, when we know it's not going to cause the stumbling of another or we have no reason to believe it's going to, we're free to go ahead and do it. And in one sense, that glorifies God when we use the freedom he's given us. So Paul writes, Eat whatever is sold in the meat market, asking no questions for conscience' sake. For the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness. If any of those who do not believe invites you to dinner and you desire to go, eat whatever is set before you, asking no questions for conscience' sake. So here is Paul's summary conclusion of his thoughts on the matter of eating meat from animals that have been sacrificed to idols. It's a sort of don't ask, don't tell policy, right? We've seen before, and we'll see again shortly, that for the sake of not offending the conscience of a brother, the Christian should be willing to give up things that he or she is free to do. In this case, eating meat. 
However, Paul says, go ahead and eat that meat unless you do know that it comes from the altar of a false god. So if you have no reason to believe it or you don't know one way or the other, just don't ask. If you want to eat meat with a clear conscience or without offending your brother, just don't ask where it came from. Go to the meat market, buy meat. Don't ask them, hey, did this come from an animal sacrifice to Aphrodite? That was the big temple in Corinth or to some other god. Eat meat at the home of an unbeliever when invited for a meal. And don't ask if the meat came from a heathen sacrifice. Eat with liberty of conscience. As Psalm 24.1 says, as Paul quotes here, the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness. Those animals actually belong to God and not to Zeus or Aphrodite or some other false god. So eat it. He's given those animals for mankind to eat. All foods are from the Lord. He provides in his common grace to mankind and we can enjoy those things that he has provided to mankind in his common grace. So if we apply this teaching more generally, if you know that you're free to do something and you cannot see that it's offending your brethren or, uh, or that in any way it's detrimental or not the best thing to do at that time, do it if you want to. Do what you are free to do. Exercise liberty of conscience ordinarily. But, then number four, doing all to the glory of God also entails avoiding knowingly offending the conscience of another Christian. When you do know that it will offend a brother, then it's wise to avoid it. Particularly when that brother or sister would see you doing it. Do what you're free to do if you want, but not if you see that it's offending the conscience of a brother or sister. In Christ. Now, that we don't make somebody else's conscience the Lord of the church. We obey the scriptures first. And on these secondary matters, Romans 14 is very helpful for us. Basically, leave each other alone, Paul says, on these other matters that are matters of indifference. But don't go out of your way to offend the conscience of another brother or and try to avoid it as you're able. Especially if you see that your action is tempting that brother or sister to sin against his or her own conscience. Verses 28 and 29. But if anyone says to you, this was offered to idols, do not eat it for the sake of the conscience, for the sake of the one who told you and for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness. Conscience, I say, not your own, but that of the other. For why is my liberty judged by another man's conscience? That last uh, question uh, might seem to contradict what Paul has been saying here unless we uh, understand that he's uh, not saying that our actions should be uh, bound by someone else's conscience in all cases, but simply that you don't have to agree in your conscience with the conviction of the other in order to refrain from that thing temporarily which might offend your brother or sister when you're with them. You have to be sensitive to their conscience. Notice also Paul appends the same reason here that he appended to the last point. Because the earth is the Lord's in all its fullness, on the one hand, you can eat whatever you want. 
You're free to eat whatever you want. Uh, all good things are gifts from God, but because all things belong to the Lord, the earth is the Lord's in all of its fullness, we have a responsibility not to misuse the things that God has given us. And it's a blatant misuse of God's gift to offer the gifts he's given to false gods. If I take something God has given mankind, which is a good gift from God, and I offer it to a false god, that's a blatant misuse. And that, So we can translate that into uh, a, a good principle of simply being very careful how we use the gifts God has given us, that we're not misusing them that we're not bolstering falsehood, for example. So if you learn that the meat you've been invited to eat came from an idolatrous sacrifice, well, best not to eat it. On the one hand, it's not going to hurt you spiritually, as we've seen before, but maybe it's just better not to eat it, Paul says. Don't eat it, in fact. Even though you may be confident that the idol is nothing, there are at least two reasons you should not eat. For one thing, for the sake of the idolater. Say that you've been invited by a pagan to eat at his house, that's fine. And then he sets this food before you and says, this was sacrificed to Zeus, this was sacrificed to Baal, this was sacrificed to some other god. Well, you don't want the idolater to think that you believe the idolatry is no big deal. It is. It's a great offense against his creator. And so, for his sake, don't eat it. Generally speaking, when it doesn't necessitate sin, it's a good policy to accommodate to the customs of your host. We saw that before when Paul said he would be all things to all men. But not when those customs express devotion to false religion. Also, Paul says, don't eat for the sake of of your fellow Christian who might be offended by your seeming compromise with false religion. Or who might be tempted to violate his own conscience when he sees you eating that meat from the idolatrous sacrifice. So, says, well, maybe I should go ahead and do it, and then he's going to beat himself up over it after that. Because he knows that he did something that he believed was wrong and thus... Uh, even if God has not forbidden it, he thinks God has forbidden it, and so that choice is a choice to do what he thinks God has forbidden, so that actually is a sin. The choice comes from sin. So don't place that temptation in front of him. Love for him should override your desire not to offend your host or to eat that tasty meat. So consider the conscience of your brethren. Five, Doing all to the glory of God entails partaking of the things God provides with thanksgiving. When you do partake, be thankful. Verse 30, but if I partake with thanks, why am I evil spoken of for the food over which I give thanks? He might be thinking there of maybe you already ate the meat and then your neighbor says, hey, I thought that was sacrificed to an idol. What do you do? Well, you can't get rid of it now, right? What do you do, make yourself throw up? No, <laughs> you just say, well, gift from God. Thanks be to God that he gave us that tasty meat, right? And I ate it, and it was delicious. <clears throat> if you've eaten the meat without knowing where it came from, you were free to do so. No fear of offending another's conscience should keep you from it unless you know 
that it will offend the conscience, unless you know it came from the pagan sacrifice. As long as you partook with thanksgiving to the true God, no one has the right to condemn you afterwards. In 1 Timothy 4.3, Paul condemns those who require that others abstain from marriage or from certain foods. He says, which, he says, God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. You can eat whatever you want as long as you're thankful to God for what he's given you. Then he says, for every creature of God is good and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving for it is sanctified by the word of God in prayer. As we see in Mark and in the book of Acts, Christ has declared all foods to be clean for his people. There was a time when to set them apart as a visible nation apart from the world that God's people could not eat certain foods and now it's perfectly fine. We're back to the the principle that he gave Noah. I've given you all of these creatures to eat, if you please. Eat them and glorify God by thanking him for what you receive. Number six, doing all to the glory of God entails avoiding needlessly offending others, whether unbelievers or believers. Key there is the word needless. Right? We know that in a fallen world, obeying God is, uh, is going to bring hatred. It's going to offend lots of people in various ways that you are trying to obey God. That can't be helped. You obey God. But we ought not to go out of our way to give offense. In verse 32, Paul writes, Give no offense either to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God. In 1 Peter 4, 15 and 16, Peter says, But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. Sometimes uh, people will recognize that it's actually a blessing to be persecuted for the sake of Christ, and then they try to make themselves sort of obnoxious to others, and then when other people say, you're acting obnoxious, and treat them like they're acting obnoxiously, they say, I'm being persecuted. Well, there's no blessing in that, Peter says there. But if you're going about your business, trying to serve God, doing what you should, if you're treated poorly by others because you're being faithful to Christ, well, that's to be expected in a fallen world, and God will reward you for that. There is no blessing, however, nothing to be commended in suffering because you made yourself disagreeable unnecessarily by giving needless offense. In chapter 9, verses 21 through 23, Paul said, To the Jew I became as a Jew, that I might win Jews. To those who were under the law as under the law, that I might win those who were under the law. He wasn't going to go out of his way to show his Christian freedom before Jews so that they would be offended and not be willing to listen to the gospel he had to preach. To those who are without the law as without the law. So he's not going to to do anything needlessly to offend the Gentiles when he's around them so as to build a barrier between them and the gospel. So he says, not being without the law toward God, but under law toward Christ, that I might win those who are without law. To the weak I became as weak, that I might win the weak. That would fit with what he has to say here about 
meat, right? If meat causes my brother to offend, I'll not eat meat in front of him, right? <laughs> or if meat gives my brother offense, I won't eat meat in front of him. I've become all things to all men that I might by all means save some. Paul would not only seek not to offend, but he bent over backwards to accommodate to the preferences of others as long as those preferences didn't make him sin for the sake of the gospel. So as you are able, don't knowingly offend others, whether non-Christians, Jews or Gentiles, or your fellow believers. Number seven, doing all to the glory of God entails seeking the salvation of others. That's... That should be a no-brainer from what we know from the scriptures. God is glorified as we proclaim the gospel and people are saved. Verse 33. Just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. As Paul says in chapter 9, verse 23, he became all things to all men for the gospel's sake. He isn't seeking to please their sinful sensibilities. He's just trying to give, trying not to give needless offense. And all is part of his desire to see others saved. Giving needless offense might get in the way of proclaiming the gospel to as many people as we possibly can proclaim it to. Since we don't know who among the unsaved might be God's elect, we should be working for the salvation of everyone around us. Then lastly, number eight, doing all to the glory of God entails imitating the godly. Sometimes it's hard. We look at the perfect standard that Christ set, and it can be hard for us to follow in those footsteps. So that's a great example to follow. Sometimes we need some practical examples, and so we look at other people who are following Christ. Paul gives himself as examples. He says, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. So it's not imitating their fallenness, it's imitating their Christ-likeness. Following Christ by following the example of others who followed Christ ahead of us. See the way godly men and women act like Christ and imitate that. Thereby imitate Christ in all righteousness. That glorifies God. So do all to the glory of God. Choose to do what is best for the upbuilding of yourself and others after the image of Christ. Seek the well-being of others. Exercise your liberty of conscience. That's, that's glorifying to God. If you see no way in which you're doing any kind of harm to anyone else, or which you're giving needless offense to others, you're, as long as you're not tempting another Christian to, to sin against conscience as they're growing in their knowledge of what they're free to do, Avoid knowingly offending the conscience of your brothers and sisters, but give thanks to God for what you receive from Him. I remember hearing somebody once say that the, the people who eat food without praying ahead of time are just as nourished by the people who eat the food when they've prayed. And physically speaking, that might be true. But it is right and proper that we give thanks for the things God gives us. And when we give thanks for the things we receive from Him, there is no sin in receiving those things. Avoid needlessly offending unbelievers as well as believers. Seek the salvation of others and imitate Christ by imitating the godly examples He has given you in your life. Do all to the glory of God. Let's pray. Lord, we do pray 
that we would follow godly examples, that we would seek the salvation of others, that we would exercise our liberty of conscience, but do so in a way that would put first and foremost that which edifies and not needlessly offends others around us. We pray especially that all that we do would be building up your church to your glory. And so we know that we cannot do these things by our own strength, so we pray that your Holy Spirit would guide us and strengthen us, that you would help us to do all things to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.